This podcast is brought to you by Eisner Award-winning comic book store Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. And listeners like you, head to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click donate or check us out at Patreon backslash TwoHeadedNerd. Our story this week picks up where we left off last week. Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, located in caverns deep below the metro area. It's our pleasure to welcome you, the loyal listener, to episode 644 of the Two-Headed Nerd comic book podcast. Head number one is what they call me around here, but my name is Matt Baum. I'm head number two, better known as the Internet's Joe Patrick, and uh, we're starting off on the bad on a bad foot uh, this episode because Matt Baum accused me of wearing a deep V. It looked like you had a deep V on and I assure you, listeners, I, my pledge to you is I will never be caught dead wearing a deep V. Same, the zoom came on, a, his shirt was pulled down, and there was his navel. It's it was like, just Whoa. a very <laughs> loose t-shirt. Uh, I'm also known as the Internet's Joe Patrick. Today on the show, we're back to reviewing new comics from the last two new comic book Wednesdays. That's November 10th and November 17th. Uh, thank you, Matt, for typing those out because I get caught up every time you type the numerical dates, and also sometimes you write the wrong number down. So whatever. In parentheses, stick it David up your, wrote, since you can't read numerical dates. <laughs> stick it up your Krampus. Uh, oh, that's you. After that, we'll hit you with our must-read picks for next week, and then give you just a taste of our Patreon Extra, where we're playing Ask a Nerd and getting philosophical talking about our opinions of what makes a good comic book TV adaptation. It's all happening in this turkey trouncing pre-Thanksgiving episode, and it starts with review time in the ziggurat! Wow. Review time in the ziggurat. That was throat clearing. Yeah, man. As usual, our new comic reviews start with a couple of last week books. Before jumping into this week, Matt, this pile is a veritable cornucopia of teen dystopian futures, JFK conspiracies, symbiotes in space, and fantastic divorces. That that did not happen. Yeah, since she, you're, she left the ring with them and everything. <laughs> but okay, I'll get to that. We'll you're, get there. I think you maybe you misread it, but they didn't get divorced. Since you're holding the knife, you get to carve the toiky first. Let's begin with the very meaty regarding the matter of Oswald's body. Number one from image. It was three ninety nine. This was written by Christopher Cantwell with art by Luca Casalanguida. Here is your solicit. Where is Lee Harvey Oswald's body? The Kennedy assassination is a rat's nest of conspiracy theories, mafia involvement, the second gunman, government cover up, dot, dot, dot. But the most important chapter of this sordid tale may just be the theory that the body buried at Oswald's Rose Hill gravesite is not actually Lee Harvey himself. Meet the ragtag group of useful idiots who are unwittingly brought together to clean up the crime of the century and want to be a cowboy from Wisconsin. A Buddy Holly idolizing former car thief. A world-weary civil rights activist ready for revolution. A failed G-man who still acts the part and specifically regarding the matter of Oswald's body. For fans of Department of Truth and Time Before Time comes an off-kilter crime thriller set in the shadows of history's greatest conspiracy by Eisner Award-nominated writer-producer and director Christopher Cantwell. He's currently writing Iron Man and the United States of Captain America and artist Luca Casalanguida, who is currently working on Lost Soldiers and Scouts Honor. 
Christopher has been living his best comic book life of late and putting out some very high quality stuff. He's writing an almost Suicide Squad meets Reservoir Dogs story here that sees a government spook rounding up a team to cover up JFK's assassination, essentially. <laughs> For the life of me, I didn't even make the connection to the title until I read the comic and slowly realized where the story was going. I sure. love a good motley crew of criminals and disgraced heroes recruited for a job only they can handle, and Cantwell writes the hell out of this script, complete with a scene where the boss gives everyone code names. Gotta have it, right? Castle and Guida's art is loose and came off a little unfinished at first, but as the story moved along, I started to notice how much emotion that he could project with his very minimal style. It gives a story an edgy, almost sort of like EC crime suspense story feel, but it's Cantwell's script that really brings the story home. Watch for this to be turned into an FX miniseries immediately. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, I thought this was good. Uh, I, I loved the art. I, I think that this, like, I don't know if loose is the word I would use. Like, I understand what you mean when you say that, but uh, like, it's it's not overly rendered, right? Yeah. It's not like full of cross. It's like not. It's not like Jim Lee where it's like full of cross. No, like I thought it looked loose at first, and the more yeah, I got into right. it, I was like, okay, wait a minute, this guy's telling a very tight story. And, yeah, and really, it, uh, Cantwell relies on him for a lot of the emotion too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and you know what? We're going to talk about that with another artist later on, uh, where uh, they'd kind of do some. It's a different situation, but well, maybe not actually. Christopher Cantwell is also um, not native to comics, but uh, and Guida's art it's it's rendered in a way where it's like all of the shapes are complete. You know, it's not like missing lines where the right. shadows tell the story yeah, or negative space so it's not or anything, it's not right. loose or incomplete it's but it's also not so full of extraneous lines as to be distracting it's just very clean looking right very thin um, too well and like but even then if you look up close like it's not all very crisp lines some of the lines you know they're more like brush strokes instead yeah. of like uh you know mechanically drawn lines and so i really appreciated the art um, yeah, this was fun. I love Cantwell as a writer. This is a buy it for me. Uh, but yeah, the Lee Harvey also. It's a good, it's a good year for comic books with secret JFK connections. No shit. And long meaty titles, apparently. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of yeah, long right. meaty titles. It was right there. What's the furthest place from here? Number one from Image Comics is my first book from last week. It is $4.99. It's written by Matthew Rosenberg with art by Tyler Boss. Here's your solicit. Triple-sized first issue! A post-apocalyptic coming-of-age story from four kids walking to a bank's Tyler Boss and Matthew Rosenberg. The world has ended. All that remains are gangs of children living among the ruins, but Sid believes there must be something more out there. When she disappears into the wastelands, her gang will risk everything to bring her home. A story about the things that matter most, your survival, your loved ones. Dot, dot, dot. There's no dot, dot, dot there. No. I just thought it was a good place to add it. <laughs> and your record collection. Uh, so here we are again. It's the apocalypse. The post-apocalypse to be precise, but Matthew Rosenberg doesn't give us any clues about how the world got this way. And why would we know when our only point of view characters are teenagers born after the collapse of society? Yeah, it's a nice it's a nice way to do it, too, because like they're clueless by a, about a lot of stuff. It's, it's like obvious. The Walking Dead, right? Why would these yeah. dumb hicks in Georgia know why there's a zombie apocalypse? Right. They're just dealing with a yeah. zombie apocalypse. 
Rosenberg does a great job giving each member of the large cast their own voice. I was fascinated by the idea that these kids know about self-defense and survival, but they don't seem to have knowledge of things that we take for granted, like where babies come from. Like there's like (laughs) one, like Sid, Sid is clearly pregnant and people are just like, she's sick. They don't know. She's sick. And like, and it's, right. it's, it's crazy. They like it's such a fun like, idea. Does it hurt? And she's like, no, not really. And like, yeah. they just know like your belly's really big and we don't know why. Right. Which yeah. Is, it's, it, it's kind nuts. of amazing to think about, but if you look at the situation that they're in and they've been there right. long enough, then I guess it makes sense. And, and that brings me to my next point. They also appear to be raised though, not born, which is an important distinction uh, in an old record store. So they've never seen, uh, like they've never seen a baby come into the world, so they don't know. Yeah. Uh, and there's an importance placed on music here. It's basically it's Fallout meets Phonogram. Tyler Boss has only improved since four kids walk into a bank. His work here is incredible. Intricately detailed with figures drawn with a thick line, thick, thick, thick. Yeah. That uh, pops from the background in a really neat way. Uh, his style, color, and use of iconography uh, specifically here in this uh, comic is reminiscent of David Aja's Hawkeye, which is pretty damn fine company. Coloring to too, definitely. The coloring, yeah. Though Aja didn't color his own work, but uh, Tyler Both did color this himself. Right. The lettering by Hassan Atsmane Elaho or Elhau, Elhau, I'm sorry, Hassan, is exceptional as well. It looking more scrawled than carefully placed in a way that really suits the story. Like the, like it's not like very carefully typeset, right? It's like huge letters that look like they're hand drawn. But it also makes it look like kids are talking. Yeah, yeah. No, right? it's awesome. There, there's like and I don't I don't just mean the it. I don't just mean the like the word balloons. I mean like the sound effects. Yeah. The like the titles, like everything, the Every, chapter headings. It kind of looks like stuff like from a kid's point of view. Yeah. Know? Uh, I was a huge fan of this team's last big project together. Or gets welcome to a bank. We've mentioned it three times. And what's the furthest place from here is shaping up to be a fantastic follow-up to that series. Huge by it. Loved it. Yeah, this is a really clever way to set up a mystery without setting up the world. Because the people in the world are just as clueless as you are. You don't know. Yeah, like we're going to, we're going to. Uh, I like, I don't want to keep bringing up fallout, but it, it, it's a fun take on the post-apocalyptic genre that I really like where it's like, here is somebody that doesn't know anything else right. than the way the world is. Uh, the flip side uh, with fallout, uh, fallout four specifically is that you play a character who was put into deep freeze before the bombs fell, like all kinds of weird craps going on. Like, I love that. Like, why would this person know anything about the real world right why especially when they were born after everything happened and there's like there's some weirdness about adulthood and stuff too that they don't yeah it's like they it's like they disappear it's like they go away well they They mysteriously go away out they have to leave that's what that's what i wasn't sure about i wasn't sure if they just left or if they got taken in the same way that babies get brought well it sounds like they have to leave because somebody they get in trouble for having quote an adult in the house. And I'm not going to say anything yeah. more than that, well, but yes. Yeah. I mean, there's also an element. There's like a reason for that. There's like a, a, a I don't even want to say what, uh, yeah, don't, I don't, don't just stop. Let anything me talk about it. <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> but I, I think there was like some really cool aspects of this where it's like, they're still kids that you can relate to. They still listen to music. They still 
take that music very seriously, although they don't really know what it means. They enjoy yeah. it. They know it's important and they choose like records as part of their identity, just like I used to when I was in high school and I was like punk rock kid or hardcore kid or whatever. It's the same thing. They just don't understand the larger rules around it. And it makes, well, and it, it and makes in the music cases, even it's more like important. They haven't even heard it. Like they're picking yeah. it based on the album cover. Like Sid picks, Sid picks her album. Her album is uh, privatized by Hollow Notes. Yeah. Because she thinks the guys look tough. Yeah. And she's like, you think those guys look tough? Like, and the guy's like, what? She doesn't have a frame of reference. <laughs> Just like when I started buying records with skulls on them, because I was like, I guess I like yeah. metal and they all have skulls on them. Some of them sucked pretty bad. <laughs> you know, you don't sure. know any better, but that's how you learn. Huge buy it. There, there's a lot of layers to this. And it looks like it's going to be really cool. And Rosenberg is a smart enough writer where he doesn't have to lay it all out. He can take you on a ride that you want to go on and you're just as confused, but you want to learn more. Love that. Speaking of confusing rides, let's talk about Venom number one from Marvel. It's $5.99. Now I know we just had a Venom number one. This is the new Venom number one. Okay, so settle down. This is how it works. I mean, now. the other Venom number one came out. 36 or 200 issues ago right. depending <laughs> yeah depending how you number it this is written by al ewing and ram v with art by brian hitch here's your solicit i i think we should call him al ewing and ram v just kind of match <laughs> the, ewing. The, the letters thing here's the your solicit theme. An epic new era for the Sinister Symbiote starts here! Hot off the heels of Venom 200 and Extreme Carnage, we're closing out 2021 with one of the most ambitious books in Symbiote history, an all-new Venom from some of comics' greatest talents. Marvel mains, yeah, 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 okay. Um, and they really don't tell you much about what's going on here, and that's not important. It's a first issue. But let me tell you, if you thought Donnie Cates left Venom in a weird place... Just wait until you see where Ewing and Ram V appear to be taking the character. The story picks up with Eddie in space as the new king in black. He's commanding an army of symbiotes. Dylan's at home with his own symbiote that wears chains around his wrists. And he's got his Venom cat to look over him. Much like the Kate's run, this new story looks to push Venom even deeper into the cosmos with glimpses of things to come in a truly wild cliffhanger that I... Don't understand quite yet, but looks pretty damn interesting. <laughs> I love this creative team, and I love that they're keeping the gloves off and letting the story go multiversally insane. Hitch looks incredible on art here, and honestly, he seemed like a strange choice for a character this sort of monstrous. That's just sort of not his gig. But Venom is currently in fantastic hands, and I am still excited to see just how nuts Marvel's going to let these guys go. I do kind of hope this is moving towards a no more symbiotes moment, if you will, in the near future. There's just too many of them, and I have a feeling it's something like that is coming. I'm giving Sorry, this a man. buy it. It ain't, it ain't coming. It's not coming. Those Venom movies make tons of money, and I know you don't like to hear it, but they do. <laughs> I know. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, this was great, um, but you're right about how, like, mind-bendy it is because Oof. I read this last week, and in order to re make room for the things that I need to remember to keep me sane, my brain pushed most of the knowledge of it out of itself. It was just like, nope. You cannot, like, you, you look too closely at Galactus. You can't you can't know this right now. Right. <laughs> and, uh, and, but yeah, like it's, it's, it's a pretty wild place for Venom to be in, but it's super fun and it's unexpected. And, you know, like we're, we're kind of having our cake and we're eating it too, because while Eddie is on this like magical mystery tour, 
Dylan is on Earth and he's like Venom. He's like regular Venom. Yeah, but he's got right? chains and, on his wrists. That's how we know it's yeah, Dylan. Yeah, because but I liked <laughs> like I liked how they addressed that in yeah. the final in the final issue of of the Kate's Venom Wars. Was like he's a little he's a little kid. He thinks chains look cool. Yeah, kids love chains. And it's like yeah, and, and kids joke. love chains. Kids love chains comics. Yeah, and I like it when they take Venom, who is a character that can be very easily overdone. Uh, overused and do something new with him. I really liked Agent Venom, yeah. the Flash Thompson. Agent I did Venom. too. It was a good, I even it was a fun I idea. even liked when uh, Bendis took him into space and the symbiote got all of his memories back and he merged with the hive mind and he's like, oh, I'm not supposed to be a psychopath. I'm actually like a, a member of a very noble race of yeah. heroes. And then he became Venom Space Knight for five minutes. Uh, like, and and I know that that's not what what fans of the tongue and the teeth want from venom right um but uh like i i love it when they put a new twist on him and this is a definite new twist yeah i think venom is, and, is a perfect example of a character where they can tell any story they want with him creatively and keep it in the greater marvel universe but really only let it affect that character and we're going to talk about right. that later when we talk about some dc stuff where i get it they want the freedom to tell their stories any way they want Al Ewing is definitely telling whatever story he wants with Venom here. It is wackadoo. <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful book. Brian Hitch, you know, is on his A game here. And yeah, this, better, is a, this is a buy it. It's very good. Hitch is always good, but like there was something, there weren't lying about that. Like, so let's say, like, he left it all on the page. Like, this was some of the best stuff I've seen from him. It was great. Yeah, it's gorgeous. One. Now, you're going Hey, from now on, we're poisoned to you, Spider-Man. That's why we call ourselves Venom. Our final book from November 10th is The Thing, number one. It's also from Marvel Comics. It's $4.99. It's written by Walter Mosley with art by Tom Riley. Here is your solicit. The next big thing begins here. Renowned storyteller Walter Mosley brings his signature style to a sweeping saga of Yancey Street's favorite son that will range from the urban sprawl of the back alleys of Manhattan to the farthest reaches of the cosmos itself. Whoa. A lonely evening and a chance encounter, or is it, question mark, sends Ben Grimm embarking on a sojourn that will have him encountering and battling figures both old and new, featuring guest appearances from figures drawn from throughout the Marvel Universe, as well as precision artwork from Tom Riley. The next big thing will remind audiences why the thing is one of the most popular and beloved characters in the history of comics. Again, we're getting a lot of stuff about things that are going to happen later in the miniseries right. that don't necessarily happen in this issue, but that's okay. Don't get, don't get worked up about it. Novelist Walter Mosley is best known for his crime fiction, particularly the easy Rollins mysteries and, uh, you know, a touch of erotica. We've all been there. His talent for prose works well in this eerie, mostly silent opening scene. And that's thanks to Tom Riley's visual storytelling. That's what I was talking about earlier uh, when it came, when we were uh, talking about, I believe it was Casa Languida. Yeah. Cantwell comes from TV. Mosley comes from prose fiction. And so they are used to writing probably long detailed descriptions of scenes right for sure uh and those scenes may not have much dialogue if any yeah and so uh it really lends itself well to that dialogue less scene you know where it's just letting the visuals definitely and the emotions tell the story uh in a way that like some writers can't do very well 
Mosley's affection for Ben Grimm comes through in the dialogue as well. Coming home from a vacation to an empty Baxter building, a lonely Ben becomes easy prey for a sinister being that seems to be fueling his negative emotions. Uh, this story takes place in the past, which doesn't seem to be necessary except for to have a moment where Ben and Alicia are not yet married. Right. So because there's a scene where Ben freaks out and uh, Alicia's like, we're taking a break. They're not getting divorced. Right. Because <laughs> they're not married yet. Uh, but it really doesn't seem necessary uh, as both Mosley's script and Riley's art have a, kind of a timeless quality. This really could take place any at any point. Yeah. Even with the uh, art, like, this could have been the 60s. Yeah. Right. <laughs> The solicit mentions Tom Riley's quote unquote precision artwork, which is a really weird way to describe right? it. When, when, when you say precision artwork, that to me invokes a super crisp, fully rendered line, maybe even with a ton of detail, like your Jim's Lee and Steve's McNiven. Uh, but really he has a much softer, thick shadow, heavy style. That's much more reminiscent of your Greg's Smallwood and your Chris's Somni. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's like precision artwork. It's it's a very it's a nice compliment, but, but it, it sounds like it's, AutoCAD. It sounds like oh man, yeah, this right, guy's an architect? yes, exactly, like, right. Like you no, know, he didn't get out. Yeah, he didn't get out like his compass and his protractor right. to draw any of this crap. What are we talking about? Yeah. It's absolutely beautifully drawn, whatever you call it. My one criticism is that Ben's face looks really strange when drawn from certain angles. Uh, I had two thoughts about that after I wrote this review. One, he's the thing. And so, yeah, his face is going to look weird. Absolutely. And it, uh, that's a, we should save that for a question of the week. Characters that are hard to draw. And, sure. and when I say hard to draw, I mean like your favorite artist, the best artist in the world has trouble drawing this character. And the thing has got to be number one. Has yeah. to be. Well, and also, uh, like that leads me to my second point is that maybe we're just used to artists that take the easy way out. Absolutely. By drawing Ben from like a straight on profile yeah. or or uh front facing shot. Like we're talking like three quarter head tilted from the bottom. So his weird little overhang awning of a brow sticks out. And it's like that's that's weird. Like your brain doesn't think it should be, but right. that's probably how he looks. Ben Grimm is easily one of my top five favorite marvel characters maybe even top two so all you really have to do to get me to love a thing solo story to give it a pass is to get the character mostly right uh mosley and riley's the thing number one does that and more check this out for sure this is a huge buy it i adored it yeah i think if you're gonna do a, a thing centric comic the easy way out is to do comedy and buddy him up with somebody and send him on a wacky and wild ride the thing right and that way i don't have to draw the thing the whole time i could draw spider-man a little bit when i need these moments and whatnot they are taking the hard way here they are drawing and telling an emotional story about the thing and it's very good. This was really well done. This is another one where it really doesn't matter where it takes place, but it obviously takes place in the same continuities of Fantastic Four. It's just before they got married, whatever. Yeah, I've really enjoyed this. I thought the art was very cool. And I think the thing is not only one of the hardest characters to draw, but I think he's probably one of the hardest characters to write solo as well just because of the nature of the character which is so strange though right because he's like he's you know he's an everyman he's blue collar but how do you, you make know, but like, just that like you don't see solo charlie brown stuff you see charlie brown and the peanuts gang and they all bounce off each other you know what i mean yes it is a charlie brown show 
but arguably yeah. he's not the one getting a hundred percent of the screen time. Lucy's way more interesting, you know? <laughs> well, <laughs> sure. And I think like, I was gonna, I was gonna say, but like to make a, to make a comparison to like Peter Parker, you do get lots of solo Peter Parker, but Peter also has the benefit of being created as a solo character and Peter's as also being created as a part of a team and a normal human being. So we can relate. Well, right. I'm just, more. I guess what I'm just saying is that Peter has got a supporting cast. So sure. even his solo stories are full right. of other characters. But the thing ben has the fantastic four and Alicia, that's his supporting right. cast. And he's we a, already have them every month. He's a man trapped, trapped in a Rocky body as well. So we can only relate to his sort of every man, the way he talks, how jovial he is. Like if he was an asshole, he'd just be another bad guy that the, you know, the Hulk punches in half and we'd be like, glad he's dead. <laughs> so no huge buy it. I think the thing is very difficult to take on, and these guys did a fantastic job with it. Let's move to this week and jump right into another teen music dystopia with Radio Apocalypse. Number one from Vault. It's $3.99. Here's a creative team. It is written by Ram V, who we cannot stop reviewing books for. It is not our fault, by the way, because Ram V is currently attached to like 25 comics that are on the stand. So with art by Anand RK, here's your solicit. Long after the rock of space struck the world and turned it all to dust, in Bakerstown stands the last radio station on the planet. Radio Apocalypse broadcasting into the unknown, a beacon in the dark for those who wander the lost places. Now change is a-coming to Bakerstown. Among the refugees flocking into an already precarious settlement, an orphan boy, Ryan, caught in an indiscretion caught in an indiscretion will twine his fate with the radio station and in doing so begin this mixtape of love and heartbreak and interminable hope this soundtrack to the end of the world i have an on again off again love affair with feel bad comics but it looks like i might start seeing this one now v does an excellent job setting up the world with the forward also used it for the solicit and lets the amazing art of anand rk do the heavy lifting here rk is another artist that could be controversial for some because he oozes with style the same way paul pope or jim mafood's art does yes very paul pope i loved what I saw here and Anisha's colors really brings the frenetic, almost scribbly graffiti style to life. There's a lot of initials and single name creators on this book, by the way, <laughs> they all sound like mystery people. It's not all doom and gloom though. V shows us there is still love and hope in this dystopian future, which seems to only be amplified by the last radio station in California, maybe the U S maybe the world. They say it's the last one in the world and solicit, but it's hard to tell from what we see here radio apocalypse is the uh, again very fallout yes radio apocalypse is the kind of feel bad comic that i could see myself reading for a nice long run if it can balance the desperation and hope like it does with this first issue and anand rk is just one to watch this guy kicks ass i'm giving this a huge buy it this comic just looked cool really cool uh, okay. So, uh, I feel like this comic should come with a content warning or, or, uh, like a, an epile an epilepsy warning. Um, and I'm not like, I'm not kidding. No, it's like, uh, like, yeah, there, like a flashing lights may cause like, there you. Are no, like there are no, there are no flashing lights. Obviously it's their static images, but 
Um, the colors are are applied in such a way that the entire issue looks like you're looking at a 3D comic without the glasses. Kind on. of, yeah. So it's overlapping lines of like reds and blues or or colors that approximate that kind of 3D effect. Yeah. And while it does look cool, by like the tenth page, like I literally had a headache and I had to take a break. Like oh, that's not a joke. I loved it. Um, like my my, but like as somebody that's got bad eyes, uh, like I, it was a real strain on me to read this. Uh, so, um, bear that in mind when you flip through it. It's because, not their fault uh, that you're crippled. Okay. So, you know uh, what? Yeah, there are. You know what? There are dozens of blame us, buddy. your parents. Okay? Blame there the Lord. All right. <laughs> um, but. Uh, it is gorgeous. Like the artwork is gorgeous. It's, it's just very, very beautiful. Yeah. Uh, Paul Pope is a, is a dead on comparison. And I would um, describe it as intense. Yeah. Well, yeah, it is intense. And I'm like, and look, I'm not saying that it is not super cool for that color. That color, that coloring style is super cool. And it is a huge compliment to the art, but also I found it very taxing to read. Yeah. Like, it is physically. all style. I will say that it's all style. Uh, I mean, and again, this is, this is really nothing at all about the execution of it or like, it's, it's just like a, it had a physical effect on me, <laughs> like it, in a way that like, oh, that artwork is weird. Uh, it does not, you know what I mean? Like this artwork is, it's like, it's like that comic memetic. You remember memetic where it's like the smiling weasel makes you go crazy. I in loved three it. Days. I loved it. <laughs> oh, yes, I know. I know. And I love that too. But like, Oh, I read this and I was like, Oh God, they put a, they memetic to me. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but yeah, no, it's, it's, it's very gorgeous. Um, I'm giving this a skim it just for that reason. And I know that means uh, that sounds like I'm being harsh, but like, I'm not joking. Like it really did. Like I did, I did have to stop and read it in like two or three sittings. I think you're so uh, because look, it's very well done. It's very well written. It's very well drawn. Uh, it was just kind of a difficult read. So there you have it. It's time to get dizzy in here. Yeah. Speaking of <laughs> speaking of things that get you dizzy. I'm doing the cabbage dizzy, patch, Number you know? one. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Getting dizzy. Number one from Boom Studios. It's four ninety nine. It's written by Shay Fontana with art by Celia Moscote or a Moscote. Here's your solicit. Dizzy wants to be the best, the very best, like no one ever was. But in the case of everything she's tried, including roller skating, this teen has only been able to achieve one thing, disaster. Just when she is ready to pack it in, everything changes when the negatrixes attack, forcing her to take up the mantle of burb defender. But if she wants to save the world, I mean, it's kind of low stakes, right? It's just the burb. Uh, she's going to have to assemble. World. Come on, give her, cut her some slack. Oh, you know what? Fair. Yeah. Points to Matt Bomb. That's fair. The she birds can't are in her whole this world. This is where she lives. You're right. Yeah, she's 15. Right. You're she right. She can't even skateboard. She sucks at it. <laughs> she, yeah, yeah, she does. Uh, or a roller skate. Yeah. Uh, if she wants to save the world, she's going to have to assemble the coolest skating crew in the burbs. This is from New York Times bestselling author Shay Fontana. You know her from DC Superhero Girls and Wonder Woman Rebirth. And acclaimed artist Celia Mascote or Mascote. Uh, her big project was called Juliet Takes a Breath, which I have never heard of and I would like to check out. Can't say that I have. Comes an aspirational new series perfect for fans of Save Yourself and Roller Girl that reveals a true hero is nothing without her friends. Getting Dizzy is about a young woman trying to find her place in the world when she discovers that she is the literal chosen one, granted superhuman abilities to fight bad vibes. <laughs> Dizzy is a girl with her head full of visions of greatness, and she's not as ready to achieve it as she thinks when the opportunity is given. It's a fun, 
low stakes adventure about learning to believe in yourself and pick yourself up when you're down very much in the vein of something like teen dog, but with more interdimensional portals. It's exactly the lighthearted uplifting tale you'd expect from the creator of DC superhero girls. The sweet anime influenced art is wonderful with excellent line work by Moscow day and vibrant colors by Natalia Nestorenko. Uh, props to Jim Campbell's letters as well. This is the second time that uh, the letters have had a, a visual impact on the story, which Definitely. is not something that always happens. Definitely. Uh, they do a great job maintaining the tone throughout the issue. Yeah. And that shows uh, like real thought. They put real. Yeah. Th- this isn't just like some kid's book that they crapped out. There's real thought that went into it. So like uh, good, good lettering is almost invisible, right? Where it's right. just like they, they've done the job. They're workhorse letterers. They've done the job. They've put the, t- the type in Superman's mouth. Yeah. That's all you need to do. Um, great. Uh, bad lettering is distracting. Yes. Uh, and great lettering is, uh, is enhances the experience like yes. Todd Klein. It's like a best, like Todd it's like Klein, the best bass player in the um, world. You shouldn't yeah. be noticing what they're doing, but if you Unless do notice amazing, what, right? when you do notice what they're doing, you go, Oh my God, they're amazing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and so I would argue like, uh, like, so Todd Klein's lettering is sod Ribbick's yeah. hand lettering in his projects. Uh, uh, and this week, Hassan, uh, from what's the furthest place from here and Jim Campbell from getting dizzy. There you go. Great job guys. I know I'm not necessarily the target audience for getting dizzy number one, but it's a well-told, beautifully drawn story with a diverse, inclusive cast. It's pretty dang charming, too. I'm giving it a buy it. Yeah, I, you know, I don't know if it's as simple as like a teen dog that you like in it, too. Like, it's fun and it's lighthearted. I mean, I mean, low stakes in that, like, it's all about, like, not harshing that. Like, I mean, don't sure. let the bummers get you down, right? Except there's portals and, and monsters. I, and, I have and, this yeah. feeling and I don't know. And maybe, you know, there's more to come and they're going to reveal something. But I have this feeling that maybe a lot of this is her battling her own demons. And this is that all very, in her That head. very well could be true. Yeah. You know, yeah. and she I mean, realizes like my, my, my biggest, you know, like talent is to overcome my own feelings of sadness, my own feelings that I have to be this amazing thing. Sure. And right. Just yeah. be me, you know? And I mean, like, even if that does not become part of the actual text, the subtext is there. Yeah. Like definitely. me mentioning teen dog is really more of a joke, but it is, uh, it is a similar, like low stakes, feel good sure. kind of thing. Yeah. I guess, I guess um, I just but, think of but when teen I think dog of is also is nonsensical, sweet fun. Yeah. And not, and this, you could definitely see that there's an allegory. There's here. a message. There's a really right. good message. And then there's yep. really good art. And again, I'm also not the target audience. And I have been accused of being a crotchety old shithead when we read kids stuff. And I go, it's for kids for little kids. But this was really well done and really well thought out. The art is great. It's got a really good message. Grab this and give it to any 10 to 13 year old girl and they'll love it. Give it in a buy. Or boy, fuck it. Give it to a 10 to 13 year old. Oh, look, I'm a whomever. boy and I loved it. So. Let's move to another woman in a mission, Wonder Woman herself with Wonder Woman Evolution number one from DC. It's $3.99. This was written by Stephanie Phillips with art by Mike Hawthorne. Here's your solicit. Whisked away from Earth by a distant cosmic entity, Wonder Woman is forced to navigate a series of perilous challenges that push her to the brink, both mentally and physically. At stake is the fate of all humanity, with the alien entities casting Diana as Earth's proxy for a trial, judging humankind's worthiness to exist in the universe. Can Diana stand trial? 
to save humanity without losing her own. Harley Quinn's Stephanie Phillips teams with acclaimed artist Mike Hawthorne worked on Daredevil and Deadpool for his first major DC project, an epic Wonder Woman tale unlike any other. Hmm. For a book about Wonder Woman being whisked away from Earth by a distant cosmic entity, the story sure takes a long time to get there. Spoiler, Diana isn't even whisked away until the final page. After a fight with Silver Swan that was probably longer than it needed to be, and a cute discussion with Superman that was definitely longer than it needed to be and takes up the entire second half of the book. Either one of the two parts to this story feel like they probably could have been a lead in to the actual story. You know, maybe something where this was a build to an event that could have been printed in an annual as a backup, possibly (laughs) put them both together and you get a long and fairly predictable opening to a story that doesn't even really start here to top it off. The art is weird. It's not bad. Hawthorne is filled on and filled in on daredevil recently. And we didn't love him there, but it is hard to judge anyone filling in for Marcus Cicchetto. Here, the face work is really strange, especially Wonder Woman, who looks so chiseled that she couldn't even possibly be considered attractive at times. Oh, is that <laughs> all you care about? No, whether or not. But like Wonder Woman's bangable or not. Her face, Superman, has the similar face issues. It's just strange. Hawthorne really leans into the idea of like Greco-Roman features. I guess so. Like the sloped nose and the like. Give you that, but so like there are yeah like there's definitely a, a purposeful attempt here to to give Wonder Woman a distinct look. There is, but it comes off as really odd in some pages where her face just looks weird. Same with Superman. Yeah, I mean, and there's like some scenes where she's floating above Mount Everest that just don't play well or look good on the page. Weird art and an overblown beginning that doesn't even get to the story promised in the solicit does not make for a great start. I like Phillips, and there's probably a good story coming here, but I certainly don't think I'll remember any of this issue by the time issue two hits the stands. I'm giving this a skim it because it's not bad, but this sure felt like it could have been a one shot and they tacked on some ending to it. Or like I said, two short stories in a wonder woman anniversary or celebration book that don't necessarily have to lead to anything. I, I just don't get why you start the story like this. Okay. I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of torn about that. Like, I don't disagree with you. It's true. It's right there in the book. Like the, the plot that they talk about in the solicit does not even kick in until the final page. Right. And even after it kicks in, I say kick in in the loosest sense of the, of the, term because all we know is that she falls into a portal we don't know where she goes or what right. she sees or if, what if happens if you don't to read the solicit like, you have no idea what just happened or what's yeah, coming next and and so really this entire issue is about super uh, is about wonder woman like having doubts about how she about her decision to um let the silver swan go or pardon me to um save innocent lives rather than save the silver swan which is ridiculous uh, of course she's going to well, save but, a kid but i mean also like there's a lot of like baggage wrapped up in that, like silver Swan, uh, 
if you know the if you know Wonder Woman's lore, Silver Swan was uh was a young woman, a, a, sure. a teenage girl that was one of Diana's best. Her and her mother were Di- some of Diana's best friends during the uh, George Perez run of Wonder Woman. So after she had just come to Man's World in post crisis continuity, um and uh something happened where Vanessa is um hurt and and uh she eventually becomes this super villain, the silver swan. And she's got a lot of like irrational. I agree. Like if you, right. if you are, if you are friends with Wonder Woman, you're going to understand why Wonder Woman saved innocent lives, prioritized innocent lives over her own friends. You know what? I can kind of see why a villain or somebody who's, you know, not all there or whatever might make that assumption. Right. They, they might, internalize that i mean and, sure and but that's still it. inherently selfish if you're like i'm throwing a no, kid to their death come save no, me no no, no like i i know <laughs> no 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 that's not what i mean like i i know i like i understand that like it's irrational and, and selfish even but like th- there's a hurt there that i can understand why it would be a motivating factor sure, but for let's, somebody. let's anyway. get back to this story like did no, you I, need I mean, that? i'm talking about the silver swan anyway, do you anyway, need anyway. that setup to get to where we're going. Yeah, see, How like exactly. You, know? you didn't you did not need to hear all of that in this review. Right. And that's what so that's the um, problem with the book. It's not that any of it was bad. I, I thought it was well written. Um the art, Mike Hawthorne is an artist that I like but don't love uh because he does sometimes come off as his art his line work does sometimes come off as odd. Yeah. Um I, I just don't get and like he's definitely a talented artist and I don't know if it was the, an inking issue or what but like his art did look especially um odd in some places. Really uh, like rigid that Mount, too really that Mount rigid. Yeah. yeah. And so I mean I don't know what to I don't know what else to say about that. Like I I I I thought that this was fine. Um, but it's a, also a, a book where, and again, I, I, I try not to obsess about this anymore, but I have no idea how it matters to the current Wonder Woman book. Um, last time I checked in with Wonder Woman, she had died and elevated to a higher plane. And that's where she was during Future State. She was like in some sort of Valhalla. Right. And, and there was the whole thing about her in Valhalla while we had Wonder Girl, uh, like Yara Floor and, and Nubia. Um, acting on her behalf in the modern day. I don't think this takes place in any of that. Uh, uh, right. At all. And, uh, and so, and I have not been reading the main current day Wonder Woman book, so I have no idea what's going on there. Uh, and so uh, this book just doesn't feel like it matters to anything. Right. And, and that's what I touched on in Venom, where you're telling a story that is so nuts and, and just completely bonkers for this character, but you're creative enough to work that in and make it work in the larger universe. You can do the, a story like this with Wonder Woman. You absolutely can. But when you set it up like this and and just sort of give us this two-part you know, beginning that like it was really yeah. kind of a yawn, Like I just don't get it. I don't know when it takes place, I, and it's hard to care. I, I I think like I'm I'm kind of like I'm trying to I'm trying to come to terms with like marketing is to blame for a lot of what we're feeling, and that's not necessarily the creator's fault, but also they should be able to just tell a Wonder Woman story. I agree without without the baggage. Like I thought this was some some supposed to be some sort of big deal. How can we get this thirty pages of nonsense in the right. beginning? It's and so like. I'm of two minds on it, but the way it's billed, it's a build as a number one. It's billed as this like big deal, right? You know, a fate of the fate of all mankind kind of thing. And like, that's all hype. That's solicits. That's marketing. I get it. I get it. I get it. But it did color my experience. Uh, it's a skim it. Yeah. And like, take the solicit out. 
take that out completely and just read this as a Wonder Woman issue. Are you thrilled? Are you excited about um, what comes next? As a, like, as a single issue, maybe not. But if I read this right? as a trade, if I read this as a trade, I'd be like, okay, maybe. Yeah, why not? I'd like, see, sure. I would have been a little bored with the first issue, and I don't know that I'd read more. Well, but I mean, yeah, but uh, like, I'm I would be judging it more as a whole. Sure. You know, I don't. I'm not going to buy a trade and only read the first chapter. I'm going to read sure. the whole thing. So, yeah, I, I, as a single issue, it's not a great. It's not the best experience. Our final review for this episode is Amazing Spider-Man number seventy-eight dot. Bay. It's That's be, how you have to say it's it. Beyond. Like, it's beyond. It's like, it hey, Bay. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's from Marvel. It's four ninety nine. It's written by Jed McKay with art by Eleonora Carlini. Here's your solicit. Bullet. The daughters of the dragon are Spider-Man's trainers, and they are kicking his webby butt. Bullet. But is even their skill level enough for the mission that Beyond sends them on? Bullet. Who is the new villain? The, the villain. villain obsidian star and how will misty and colleen possibly take him down bullet don't miss this pivotal issue yeah yeah we're here already uh just to get this out of the way first thing i hate the number whatever dot blank way yeah. of marking issues that yeah. marvel has seemed to embrace over the past several years hate it uh that said I do enjoy how these ancillary issues allow for the spotlight to be shared with secondary characters or moments from the story that happened adjacent to the main plot. I think it's really fun when they're well done. They aren't always well done. Yes. This issue focuses on Misty Knight and Colleen Wing, and it made me long for the days when the Daughters of the Dragon had their own title. It also brings something to the forefront that has been scratching at the back of my mind since before this run began. Why did the Beyond Corporation, which is financing Ben Riley's Spider-Man operation, sound so familiar? That's because the Beyond Corporation is the evil corporation that spent 12 issues trying to kill Monica Rambeau and the Next Wave Squad. Really? With ridiculous, <laughs> with ridiculous death machines about 15 years ago. No kidding. Yes. I, the, I, okay. I just reread, I just finished rereading Next Wave. Uh, the Beyond Corporation is uh, the corporation that backed uh, hate, which was the shield analog, the right. highest anti-terrorist, uh, whatever. Um, but secretly, they were uh, evil, 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 evil. And uh, yes, so the Beyond Corporation is not good. It's not good. And I should have remembered that. And I should have known it from the start when they said it was all about the Beyond Corporation. But I forgot. Spoiler. There might, there uh, might be bad guys again. <laughs> well, I mean, I think if you read this issue, they are, you can definitely see that they're bad guys. Um, well, it seems like they're bad guys. We don't know. Time will tell. Yeah. It's a year-long story. McKay leans heavy into that here, though, with the daughters deploying gadget after gadget in an attempt to defeat Obsidian Star, and it is awesome. Everything they deploy has this, like, product label that's like, do not use under any circumstances. Yeah. Antimatter bomb. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. Absolutely. He also had a great handle on the banter between these old friends. Why did they agree to work for a company like this? Don't worry. It's part of the fun. By the time we get to the end, McKay has teed up a wonderful twist and I can't wait to see it unfold. Um, without spoiling anything, I'm very glad that I did just reread next wave <laughs> because otherwise I might've missed it. Okay. I definitely, I missed it. Yeah, yes. I totally uh, and uh, off, off mic, I'll tell you if you want to know. 
Carlini's art shies away from realism in favor of dynamic, super exaggerated action, and it is a blast to look at from start to finish. If Marvel's going to continue with these extra side stories, Amazing Spider-Man 78.Beyond is the way to do it. Uh, get this team on a Daughters of the Dragon spinoff book ASAP. This is a buy it. Okay, I'm going to play devil's advocate just for a minute. I, okay. With that said, I very yeah. much enjoyed this. Okay. But if I'm a Spider-Man fan and I want to read Spider-Man or I'm a Ben Riley fan and I want to read Ben Riley, and we've decided that Spider-Man's coming out four times a month. Yeah. And I get a book that is more than three quarters only Daughters of the Dragon. Oh, yeah, I, would, I would say it's more like nine, 90% yeah. not Spider-Man. I could see how this could upset some fans. Sure, but counterpoint, that's between you and your comic shop retailer. No, I, I again. Um, and also, it's not. It, it, there's a reason why it's not labeled number 79. It's 78. Bay. Right. And 79 is the next chapter in the Beyond story. And I get that, but that so, numbering bullshit is just yes. enough that you know a lot of people got this in their pull file that yep. were, you know, and again, I like the book. All right. I'm not taking anything away from it. But this trick that Marvel is doing is kind of shitty. It's um, just I mean, kind of shitty. Saying, I, I, like, I, at this point, like they were doing this crap during uh, slots run. I agree. Uh, you know, uh, like, and it and was so, shitty then. I mean, and, but I mean, it's but it's not new is my point. Right. I, and I so right at this point, we know that Marvel does this kind of thing. So uh, pre-order responsibly. If you're if you, it's not going to affect you, if you're somebody that just buys Spidey off the rack. Right. But you could also tell you can it, easily skip it. Amazing Spider-Man Daughters of the Dragon or something or um, you could or amazing I mean, spider-man I, beyond daughters of the dragon one shot you know and then we know what we're getting into yeah yeah now regardless like, of like, that I, we don't need to go I, into I, a, but i could that. i oh i would just my like my final thought on that is like if you know that these are coming up and you would if you're pre-ordering uh and you don't want them tell your retailer i don't want that issue sure not just i'm just telling not them. everybody's gonna pay that much attention and not every retailer is gonna pay that much attention either they just go amazing spider-man well there you those go. retailers are yeah. bad at their job i agree i don't disagree this was a lot of fun i really do like these characters i loved the art i thought the art was fan it is it's really Fantastic. it's really dynamic yeah, yeah it's really it's, really yeah. great um i wish they could sustain a, a series because the daughters of the dragon series was very good it just wasn't one that a lot of people read, unfortunately. You know, it it, it had to uh, it had one thing going for it. Uh, the Daughters of the Dragon series kind of uh, hit um, as Daredevil was at its Bendisy peak. Yeah, right. And so it was very Bendis adjacent with Luke Cage and stuff, um, and Iron Fist. And then also um, when it was relaunched as Heroes for Hire, it was uh, from the jump a Civil War tie-in. Yeah. So it got a so it had a lot going against it i i will agree with you that don't think about why they're working for this company too hard because it doesn't make much sense <laughs> um, no i think i think it no i don't agree i think it does you think it does i don't yes. understand why they're working for the beyond corporation you don't understand why they're working did you read this comic yeah i mean they get a bunch of like toys and tricks and stuff but like it, this isn't even really their mission they're like you know all right you know what editor's note insert jeopardy music here or equivalent so joe revealed the ending to me and how what it had to do with next wave and i gotta admit it was completely lost on me and i don't know how many people actually read next wave <laughs> well i mean, I, I mean I, it's cool I, they're doing that 
and I like it, but it's also kind of like you really got to be in on the joke, you know? <laughs> well, I, I think the next wave tie in maybe, but I think the thing you missed about the Daughters of the Dragon's motivation is just because you a dummy. Is that right? Because it is overtly in the text. I, yes. It just didn't click. It's for not, me it's not subtle. That's what not, was going it's on. not even a hint. Uh, like it, it, it's basically, they come right out and say it more or less. I don't think they came right out and say it, but yeah, they, they definitely they I'll give you. They, definitely, they basically say we are working for the Beyond Corporation because of this. They definitely lied to their boss. I will say that. Yeah. So, you know, are you going to write this book? Yeah, I gave it a buy it. It's, it's a buy it. It's All fun. Right. I just think it's a buy it and it's fun and it just sucks that or maybe it doesn't suck. Maybe this is the tricks that Marvel has to do to get you to buy a Daughters of the Dragon comic book and well, find yeah, and out that these characters like, are cool. Is that that's you, the other way say, to look at it. It's easy to say they should just label this as a Daughters of the Dragon spinoff one shot, and that's all well and good, and, and that would but be maybe fine. nobody buys it. But who? Buy, right, exactly. If right. you don't put Spider Man seventy eight on it somewhere, yeah. you know, it's probably not going to get the double edged sword. I, I get. Joe, we just devoured eight comics, but it's time to name the tastiest morsel from this pile, and which comic makes it into the THN permanent collection. Of course, the uh, conditions can be destroyed because we're gravy and grease and ugh, what are we even thinking? I mean, also we're underground. <laughs> uh, you know what? I don't know why this is so hard for me every single week. I don't because I I think that I'm gonna know, and then at the time, by the time we're done talking about everything, I don't know. Long pause for dramatic effect. I'm gonna give it to the thing because what's the farthest place from here was very very good. I enjoyed it quite a bit. But uh, I love the thing. I love the thing so much. I love the thing when he's done well. And the thing deserves to have a solo series. And uh, I thought these guys nailed it. I'm going with what's the furthest place from here, just because I thought they did such a great job setting up this mystery and putting you in, dropping you into it with these kids. The art was great. I love the music aspect. And I thought Radio Apocalypse did something very similar, but there is a lot of style there that appeals to me and I can see why that style might not appear appeal to a lot of other people. That's fine. So what's the furthest place from here gets it for me. If you want to know more about these comics, check out our show notes where you can find links for all the books we discussed. And if you want to read along with THN, you can find each episode's review list on our Twitter and Facebook weekly on Tuesdays. Also, let us know what you thought of these comics or anything you read this week on our live call-in show, THN Cover to Cover, this Saturday on Facebook Live from 11 o'clock to noon Central Time. After a meal like that, it's time to light the hearth in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum, smoke a little toad venom to relax and digest, just like our boxing idol, Iron Mike Tyson likes to do, sometimes two or three times a day, according to the Huffington Post. He's smoking toad venom these days. Toad venom? <laughs> yeah. What does that even mean? It's psychedelic, like the venom from the, uh, you know, yeah, the no, toads I get it, but that you like... lick that makes you uh, hallucinate. You can smoke it, too. Mm, yeah, right. there you go. Joe, pass the pipe and tell these kids about your must-read pick for next week. Next week, I am excited for Joy Operations number one from Dark Horse Comics. It's written by Brian Michael Bendis with art by Stephen Byrne. It is three dollars and ninety-nine cents. Prepare yourself uh, for perhaps the longest single-issue solicit in two-headed nerd history. This is like a Bendis thing, though. He writes these so long. I guess. I, I mean, who knows if he even wrote it? Uh, to celebrate this big new partnership, 
what new partnership. You didn't lead off with what is the new partnership. Uh, Jinx World and Dark Horse are proud to present the debut of a fiercely ambitious science fiction odyssey, Joy Operations. That's your partnership, Jinx World and Dark Horse. Yes, I know, but like... To celebrate this big new partnership is the second half of that thought. It's clunky. Brian Michael Bendis, the New York Times bestselling Peabody and multi-Eisner award-winning co-creator of Miles Morales, Naomi, Jessica Jones, and Powers, teams up with scorching hot comic sensation Stephen Byrne. You know him from books such as Wonder Twins and Legion of Superheroes for their very first creator-owned blockbuster series. 55 years from now, Joy is an envoy, a special agent of one of the Jonato Trust. Trusts are corporate-owned cities that are the centerpiece of modern society. She writes wrongs for the trust. She is excellent, perfection, hard on herself, driven, almost legendary in some parts, until one day a voice pops in her head trying to get her to betray everything she's ever believed. This meticulously designed Akira meets all of me journey. Wow. That shows us a new future like only comics can. All this and also an exclusive look behind the scenes and a look forward to other Jinx World projects coming exclusively to Dark Horse. Uh, So this is my pick because Jinx World is now at Dark Horse. We talked about it on cover to cover some uh, weeks ago. This is the first creator-owned project from Bendis at his new publisher. And I have really enjoyed a lot of his creator own works. Like I know that I, oh, I, yeah. I know that I have my own problems with his superhero stuff from time to time, but uh, like, I really loved Pearl. Matt really liked the United States of murder Inc, which I never read. Of course we adore Amazing. powers. Like, so yeah, I'm a big fan of Bendis's independent work and there's no reason to think that this won't be good. Uh, Stephen Byrne is a tremendous artist. I loved him on wonder twins. Uh, I, I loved seeing his name pop up and uh, this is going to be fun. It's weird future stuff. Like I'm a sucker for that. And you get mad points for referencing a Steve Martin and Lily Tomlin film from 1984. Yeah, like really? Come on. <laughs> Who amazing. are you trying to sell this to? Certainly not the youths. No. Yeah. It's like 42 and over. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> My pick for next week is Black Panther. Number one from Marvel. It's $4.99. It's written by John Ridley with art by Juan Cabal. Here's your solicit. New creative team, new direction. The Long Shadow starts here. Academy Award winner John Ridley and Stormbreaker artist Juan Cabal. Get your Stormbreaker box ready for another collectible. (laughs) Launch with an all-new Black Panther series with an action-packed espionage story that will upend everything in T'Challa's life and have ramifications for the entire Marvel Universe. Secrets from T'Challa's past have come back to haunt him fresh from returning from his travels in space. Black Panther receives an unexpected and urgent message from a Wakandan secret agent. Now T'Challa must race the clock not only to save his agent, but also to keep his true agenda under wraps because if the truth comes out, it could cost T'Challa everything. So, Juan Cabal, so damn good. I love Juan Cabal. <laughs> what love that him. dude does, <laughs> and the preview art looks like he is just Juan Cabal unchained here. He's they are letting him have fun. It looks amazing. John Ridley has again another like screenwriter that is living his best comic book life right now. I am here for it. I absolutely want this i loved ta-nehisi coates black panther was so fucking cool and they again this is another character that marvel has gone completely insane with but 
It still feels like the Black Panther. It's very much in the spirit of the character. It feels like it's happening in the Marvel Universe. And I'm so excited for this. I'm so excited for this. Yeah, I picked it should this be very good. Over Donnie Kate's Hulk. Okay, if that tells you anything. I know. And I also picked um I picked my pick over Donnie Kate's Hulk. Uh, so that like next week's a pretty good week. Yeah, it really is. Good thing we're taking too, it off. <laughs> too bad we're skipping. Yeah. The THN trade of the week goes to Apocalypse 91, Revolution Never Sleeps from Z2 Comics. It's 1999, written and drawn by various. Uh, here's your solicit. It is intended for mature audiences. Yeah, well, so it's, it's you public enemy. Punks, so there you go. You immature punks, just keep your hands off. Celebrate the 30th anniversary of this landmark album, Apocalypse 91. The enemy strikes black with this commemorative sequel graphic anthology. Revolution Never Sleeps begins on the familiar backdrop of 1991 and explodes into a far-flung futures with a series of speculative fiction stories by the industry's leading creators, including Evan Narcissus, Regine Sawyer, Che Grayson, Troy, Jeffrey Allen, and many more. Witness revolutionaries in every millennium stand up and fight the power with a little help from the rhythms and rebels of the past. Matt Bomb, this was your pick. It was my pick. So Chuck D from Public Enemy is the guy behind this, and he's been working on a lot of visual art stuff, and he's gotten very excited about comic book and comic book storytelling. And he is not the kind of guy that likes to revisit his old albums. It's just just not something that's interesting to him. He doesn't even really like to talk about them. But somebody came to him with this project and said, what if we do this 30 years later and base it off the music and the way that it was set up? Because this record tells a story. And I love when music and comics collide. So I'm super excited for this. Um, So do you think it's going to be on par with the black eyed peas graphic novel? I think it might be a little better, but I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to take anything away from the masterful work of will. I am and what he's done in comics. What what about (laughs) on a scale of one to DMC? Uh, what do we what do we, we love that? dmc so don't even start that i know we love great. dmc it's just a joke <laughs> I, like I could, I could only think of three comic books written by raps this rap is groups. serious shit and dmc was a bit of a joke all right dmc was also a superhero story it was great we've got a holiday week and local comic shop day on the 24th so be sure to pre-order these comics from your local comic shop so you've got something to read including a local comic shop day exclusive version of Apocalypse 91 and a bunch more exclusives only available at your LCS. Uh, Z2 Comics did not pay us to say any of that. No, I was just bringing it up because local comic book shop day. But yeah, it's just, it's a, it's just a, it's a good uh, ton of exclusive stuff. It's a good synergy. Uh, Get that, get that uh, exclusive version of Apocalypse 91. They're borrowing sort of the, uh, what is it? Record store, uh, record store day model. Yeah, record store day. Yeah, like they absolutely. put out all these exclusive stuff, and shops order different exclusive things. It's really cool. I love it. You can find our picks of the week every Wednesday on Twitter and Facebook too, where you can also let us know what you are reading. Nobody ever does that, and I wish you would because yeah. I want to know. Right? Tell us. We're missing stuff. I guarantee we are. Tell us what you want us to talk about. I mean, there's no guarantee we're going to talk about because we only review eight books a week. Doesn't matter. You can still tell us. Twice a month, we post a Patreon extra segment to say thank you to the nerds that put their money where their ears is. And this time, we're playing Ask a Nerd. Here is a little taste to entice you to think about supporting this show for the ridiculously low price of $1 a month. Get those nerds! 
this exciting episode of Ask a Nerd. An old friend hit us with a question via Twitter. Carl Smith, a.k.a. Camarillo Brillo, asks, Hey, at Two-Headed Nerd, I'm curious on your take. How do you measure success when it comes to a TV adaptation of a comic? Have comic shows been successful overall? There's so many when you look, and some I already forgot existed. Before we get into it, we found some that we totally forgot existed, like Nightman, for example. <laughs> Nightman! <laughs> yeah. It was uh, Malibu Comics Nightman, is that correct? It was, yeah, Malibu. It was the Ultraverse. Um, it, I, fun fact, like I just read this fact. There is some guy, and I can't remember the name of the Twitter account, but he does like lengthy historical threads about forgotten comic book stuff. This week, it was about the Ultraverse. And it was fascinating. And I learned that Nightman was like like one of the last things to survive the death of the Ultraverse after Malibu got bought by Marvel. The Nightman TV show. Oh, wow. Um, and it's terrible. It's so bad. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. So we decided, why don't we sit down and look at make a small list of some shows that we think are good and some shows that we think were not as good and see if we can sort of take apart what we liked and disliked to come up with an answer of a, what we think is successful and works and B, do we think that comic book TV adaptations have been successful overall? So let's just start with like shows that we think are good. I made a, a quick list and I, and I try to keep mine all kind of recent just cause they're in my brain. And I feel like we're sort of living through a golden age of comic book TV adaptations right now. Right. We are, but you know, we had to get here from somewhere. That's true. So we had, it's we, worth It's worth talking about uh, the old shows if they happen to come up. Sure. We had to slog through some stuff to get here, but like good shows, for example, I really enjoyed why the last man doom patrol, the boys. I really enjoyed all the MCU TV shows, the, the Disney plus ones specifically. Uh, Daredevil was great on Netflix. Luke Cage as well was another one that I very much enjoyed. Jessica Jones was a lot of fun. Joe, like stuff that you've enjoyed. Yeah. Uh, so I, I had, you put the Disney plus shows on your list and then I put the Netflix shows on mine. And then I see that you stole all of my Netflix shows. So whatever, <laughs> I'm trying not to dwell on it, but yeah. Um, like in, in general, generally speaking, I've enjoyed, um, Marvel's, uh, Netflix adaptations, Daredevil, Daredevil, Punisher, Luke Cage and Jessica Jones specifically. Oh, Punisher was really good. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, other shows that I really liked, um, Watchmen uh, on HBO. Without it's tremendous. Doubt. Yeah. Like say what you will about the, about Warner brothers and DC versus Alan Moore. I understand. I get it. That Watchmen show is a tremendous. Yeah. No, you can't take anything away from that. Of art. It, it, it's, it's, it's mind bogglingly wonderful. Legion, same thing on yeah. FX, uh, Noah Hawley's Legion. I also really liked uh, the human target, not the Rick Springfield one from the nineties. Uh, which I don't remember at all. So I don't know if it's good or bad. I don't think it was on long. Um, <laughs> no, it wasn't. But there was also a short-lived human target show, I believe on Fox. Yes. Uh, and it starred Mark Valley uh, and uh, Jackie Earl Haley and Chi McBride. And that show is wonderful. It's just, it's a delight. I believe he does pronounce um, his name Chai McBride. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, I don't think that's accurate. No, I think um, he does, honestly. Yeah, all right, well, you know what? Agree to dig <laughs> disagree. Oddly enough, I really liked Krypton on sci-fi, even though it was uh, a weird take on the Superman mythos. Um, the Arrowverse 
on balance, mm-hmm. I think the Arrowverse is an enormous achievement on network television. No, and when, um, and when we get into something that like- uh, something that you uh, something that we both failed to, to think of at the beginning, Deadly Class. That oh, show yeah. was so good. Yeah, Deadly Class, absolutely right on. Thank you, Carl. Head over to Patreon to check out the whole discussion and be sure to pick up this month's Take a Look. It's in a book club read. Uh, Eternals hit theaters last weekend, and so it only seemed right to check out Eternals Volume 1, Only Death is Eternal by Kieran Gillen and Asad Ribic. It is available at your local comic shop right now. The book is out. Joining us will be Take a Look. It's in a book club favorites. Brian Domingos, and the official THN historian, Jason Sachs, who's going to give us a little bit of insight into the Jack Kirby Eternals while he's here. Oh, fun. Excelsior! That is it for THN 644, and we're taking next week off because it's a holiday, goddammit, but be sure to check your podcast app for a THN Turkey Day treat. No spoilers here! You'll just have to wait and see. If you want to wrap about this week's episode for any of the weekly nerdy news we're following, hit us up on our live call-in show, THN Cover to Cover. We do it every Saturday at 11 Central Standard Time. It's hosted on our Facebook page. And don't forget about our new question of the week. This week's question was submitted by us. Who are your favorite fictional besties? Your bromances, your, uh, you know, your lady bromances, whatever. Your fictional best friends. Who are your faves? All right. That'll be a fun one. Yeah, I'm excited. I like talking about friendship. Uh, Please do keep your question of the week suggestions coming. You may have noticed we've been doing a lot of throwback questions, which is fun. They're very old, and we have a lot of new listeners now, so it's not laziness. It's creativity, I assure you. Um, But if you have a new question of the week, please send it to us uh, via email. You can leave it on the voicemail line, which I'm going to mention in a second. You can post it on Facebook, Twitter. You know how to get a hold of it. Just it right there. <laughs> I know, but I wanted to say all the other things. Anyway, I guess I, you know, I guess I'm going to say them again. Yeah. You can call us at 402-819-4894 or join our Zoom on Saturday by clicking on the link in our Facebook Live video chat. And if you can't be there live, shoot an MP3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com or leave a message on the hotline and you could be internet famous. Uh, we do ask that if you're going to leave a message or send in an mp3 that you keep it to two minutes or less uh it's hard i know but we've got a lot of live callers to get to and we got to share that air this yeah. week we had no time at all and so we didn't play any of the calls there we're going to save them for this saturday there you go if you're doing the show and you'd rather cover your comics and gravy than listen to any more i assure you it's only because you just haven't heard enough although i just don't even know why that's part of our process it could make them delicious the good news is you can hear the entire run of THN in our digital long box archive at twoheadednerd.com. THN is a listener-supported podcast. That's you, nerd. And it wouldn't be possible without the generosity of donors like our newest patron, Sarah King. We love Sarah. She calls every once in a while. Although, Sarah, it's been a couple weeks. Where you at, girl? All right? Uh, well, okay. So, in fairness to Sarah, uh, she's not our newest patron. She has been a patron for a, a couple of months, a few months. Uh, I'm sorry. Again, I forgot to edit that part of the script. Uh, she is a patron, and we appreciate her. But um, Sarah is one of the persons that uh, sent in an MP3 or a voicemail. I forget which one she did. On Saturday, we did not have time to do uh, the pre-recorded calls which we will do on Saturday. Uh, however, uh, she sent the sweetest email uh, talking about what 
THN means to her, how grateful she is to have found the podcast. She had been into comics for a while, um, and the pandemic really got her into like deep diving into into stuff. And uh, she's just so glad to have found a community of like-minded nerds. And hey, yeah, that's part of that part of that's us, but a lot of it's you guys. Yeah. So thank you. Uh, and uh, that's you know. I mean, you the biggest to, part of it's us. Come on. I mean, but come on. I'm just saying. And credit uh, so, where credits you, due. Yeah, I just want to say, hey, thank you to Sarah. You that was just like uh, such a, a really nice, uh, uplifting thing. Uh, when uh, I, I will think back on whenever I am in despair that this is my life uh, still after 11 years. Fair enough. If you like what you hear every week, it is very easy to support this show. You can sign up to be a patron at patreon.com backslash two-headed nerd, where you will hear all kinds of exclusive content. We just teased you with some a few minutes ago. Or you can make a one-time donation via PayPal because you're just an anarchist lunatic that likes to just throw joy into the universe. And I that's that right. You wonderful. Know, some some men just want to some men just want to watch the world burn. Yeah. Like the Michael, QAnon Michael, shaman who's going away for Michael, 41 months. <laughs> Michael Kane. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Bryce Cetran, who you may remember as the person that uh, we'll just say he inspired it, not subjected us to last week's Marvel UK Cosmic Longbox. In response to our reviews, speaking of sweet emails, Bryce sent us an email full of added insight about the Marvel UK experiment. Spoilers, he from the UK. Some of which matched our own theories and some of which is buck wild. Oh, wow. Uh, word to you, Bryce, and be sure to tune in to this week's Cover to Cover where I will be sharing this priceless knowledge with the listeners. Uh, tune in for that extra added flavor about Marvel UK. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer might just feed all your local comic shop day exclusives to the toilet. This is the Two-Headed Nerd signing off. Happy Thanksgiving, y'all. <laughs> <laughs>